0: Hello and welcome to the Society of Petroleum Engineers Gulf Coast Section podcast. The section was founded in 1935 and now has over 11,000 members. It is a volunteer organization that provides member forums to upgrade and maintain professional competency. You can find more about the ongoing initiatives, webinars, events, and other member resources at spegcs.org. Thank you. And we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the SPE Gulf Coast Section podcast. I'm Michael Gaines and glad you're joining us today as we continue our conversations uh, with uh, subject matter experts and those within uh, the oil and gas industry who are able to provide their perspectives and insights into various areas of the industry. And today we have uh, a really special guest with us. We have uh, Dr. Michael Perch, who is an associate professor, excuse me, professor in the Department of Petroleum and Geosystems Engineering uh, and the Jackson School of Geosciences at the University of Texas at Austin. So Dr. Perch, thank you for joining us today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Michael.
0: Yes, my pleasure. So uh, for those that uh, may not be familiar, I just want to share a little bit of your your background, a little bit of your bio. Uh so I know that you uh, research and teach, of course, at the University of Texas at Austin on the topics of subsurface, spatial data analytics, uh, geostatistics, and machine learning. Uh, Dr. Perch is also the principal investigator of the Freshman Research Initiative and a core faculty. In the machine uh, learned laboratory in the college of natural sciences uh, at the university of texas at austin and is a, so, an associate editor for computers and geosciences and a board member for mathematical geosciences the international association for mathematical geosciences and the program chair for the petroleum data-driven analytics technical section of the Society of Petroleum Engineers. So I uh, almost fainted with the amount of air I had to use to, to talk to the, the really interesting work that you, uh, you're leading, uh, Dr. Perch. So, so thank you again for taking the time. I know that you work with all types and stripes from startups to, um, of course, students and, and beyond. So uh, So excited to have you.
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: So uh, in today's conversation, I, and I, I had the opportunity to read uh, your bio, and I know uh, you you also have some some information on uh, on on your website, uh, which for those that are interested, MichaelPerch.com. That's P-Y-R-C-Z. Um, you give a little bit of your your information, your your bio, your background, which I think is really interesting. Um, and one of the the areas that that I think uh, might be of interest to to those that are in the um, the SPE Gulf Coast section, in particular, um, is really talking about the the digital revolution. So you're you're at this interesting cross section, uh, or work with those in the, the cross section of oil and gas and and the the digital space. Um, but specifically, I know that um, you know personally. Now speaking for myself as someone in the oil and gas industry, um, yeah, there have been many times where I've uh, heard uh, uh, news headlines about the the great things that are happening in the digital world and and how that's impacting all all kinds of of spaces and And I think there was a, a period of time at at one point where I kind of maybe had a little bit of uh some some uh, I won't say panic moments, but but kind of looking around saying, okay, you know these ideas of 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 the digital revolution and these things happening, you know is am i am I kind of on that wave too? Am I a part of a part of that or or you know in the oil and gas industry is that something that maybe we're we're not a part of and so i know obviously you're constantly and regularly um at the epicenter of, of some of those conversations so i'd like to maybe kick off our our conversation talking uh about that and and this idea of, of the digital revolution maybe one just just simply is is that uh something that the oil and gas industry is is really a part of
1: michael that's that's a great question what's fascinating is that um I like to go historical. And if we go back to the early 1900s and we start to talk about Komogorov and the first foundations of understanding what probability is, we start to realize that there's a transition building on top of that to the original, the origins of geostatistics. Danny Krieg working in gold mines in South Africa. Later on, Journel at Stanford working in oil and gas, on to Deutsch and Verily and others extending and really expanding it into oil and gas. And what I realized immediately is that we in oil and gas, because of our sparse, difficult data sets, because of working in the subsurface, because of our expensive decisions, we are the original data scientists. So when you ask, are we on the wave? I say we started the wave. In fact, what I like to tell my students is we were big data long Mm -hmm. before tech even knew what big data was.
0: That's really, that's really interesting. I I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought of that, that perspective. I mean, I've, I have heard others and I may have mentioned in one of our previous episodes, but I've, I've heard, uh, that even some of the first, uh, supercomputers that were created were used specifically to, uh, process some of the large amounts of, uh, uh, data that was being produced, um, in the oil field.
1: It, it, I like to tell my students that during our seismic acquisitions, for example, in the Gulf of Mexico, the transmission rates rival that of, you know, JPL or, or Google or any other type of uh, big data client. It, it's amazing the types of data we use. If you look at big data, volume, variety, veracity and so forth, we check all of the boxes. We mm. meet all of the criteria for big data
0: so when you're looking at it to, to your your comment you made earlier you know you say you'd like to look at the the history and and i'm, I'm i know we don't have the time to in detail go through the history but um as you you kind of look rearward at some of the major milestones and of course where we are now i know that that certainly has been um uh filled with with lots of of peaks and troughs but as as we're at a point now where we're looking ahead and seeing to your point uh the fact that the way we use and consume data i think more and more uh, uh aspects of uh society and i would say oil and gas specifically are, are adopting that what are what are some major um items that that you're seeing that uh that come to mind that that we can be kind of thinking about or maybe people can be thinking about as as they uh, continue to innovate and and evolve in the, the oil and gas industry sure
1: and michael let me just demystify one thing before i start for the purpose of this conversation, I think we should declare that data analytics is statistics. Mm. Okay, so so anybody here walking around kind of traditional statisticians thinking about independent, dependent variables instead of predictor and response features, update your CV. We've got you covered. <laughs> yeah. You're doing it. If you have an expertise in geostatistics, that's spatial data analytics. Now, if you're building predictive modeling for the purpose of flow surrogate models that we often do with different types of designs of experiments, that is a form of machine learning. So let's demystify. Let's link it up. It's, there's nothing mysterious about it. We're already doing this stuff. Now let's talk about the outcomes. Let's talk about what we can do. Now, I came from Chevron. I had 13 years in Chevron. I tell my students I wish my career upon all of them. I had a wonderful time in my 13 years in Chevron, and there's a parallel universe where I'm still happily there. Yeah, (laughs) four years ago to get this opportunity to get back and do what I'm doing here. But the P10, Chevron P10, is we just do better with our data. Because, you know, there's a cycle there. If we do more with the data, we see value in the data, data has better line of sight to decision making. Then you'll go back and say, okay, what can we do to improve the data, to gather more data and so forth? So P10 outcome is we just do better with the data. P50 outcome, let's go up a little bit here. Next level would be we learn lots of great ways to do diagnostics with our data. There's so many cool things going on with feature engineering, uh, dimensionality reduction, inferential machine learning methods where we learn the structures from the data. That's very powerful and I think that can be linked up to a lot of our geoscience, geophysics and engineering domain expertise. So I think that's very cool. Now, Do you want me to go off the rails? Can I go off the rails, Michael?
0: Please do. Rail away.
1: There is a P90 outcome. And I'm starting to see that right now. And I'm getting very excited about it. And that is, we're starting to work with deep learning in my research team. And we're starting to see opportunities to represent the entire solution space. The possibilities in the subsurface in a very low dimensional set of latent features. And now we have just a couple of dials to turn. And once we've done that, we're starting to be able to integrate geophysical information better. We're starting to integrate production data for production history, history matching much better. So I get really excited about that. And if anybody's listening to me right now and they're like, oh, come on, what are you talking about here, Michael? Have you ever seen those animations where you go from human face to human face and everything in between? It mm. kind of does the morphing between faces. Right. Yeah, this yeah. is being done by using generative adversarial networks, and that's that's what I'm talking about. Using it within the subsurface, so I see whole new ways that we can explore and understand the subsurface using advanced machine learning technologies. I get really excited about that.
0: Mm. So when when you're looking at uh, the the you know continued application of, of machine learning um, and really looking at to to some of your comments, uh, the the uh, increased uh, potential that those provide, do you see that as being something that um, you know from a time horizon? Maybe that's very aspirational in a a, a generation or two, or is that something that you feel is um, to a certain degree within you know within our our our, our reach, so to speak?
1: Yeah, Michael, that's a great question. In order for me to make a reasonable forecast, let me talk about some of the obstacles. I'm. This is my mantra. Most of the current uh, data analytics and machine learning technologies are not ready off the shelf for our applications. The ones that are in common open source packages in Python, for instance, um, they ignore the spatial context. They focus too much on prediction accuracy and not uncertainty modeling. Um they lack the diagnostics needed to make a hundred and something million dollar decision about where to punch a hole in the bottom of Gulf of, of Gulf of Mexico. So I, I recognize first of all that many of these methodologies are not ready off the shelf for application. I know enough from being a team leader and program manager with Inside of Chevron that a technology cannot be deployed if it's not understood. It could be not it cannot be used to drive decision making. And so when I look at as we as we talk about when are we going to see applications for some of these advanced methodologies, we need to make improvements on integrating our spatial, our domain expertise, and also diagnostics, being able to understand what the model's learning. Um, I like to go to tech meetups. It's really fun, actually. It's it's just hearing what's going on and the excitement. Uh, we hosted a hackathon here too recently, and I was at a tech meetup and someone stood up and they said. I did machine learning. The machine learned a lot. I didn't learn anything.
0: <laughs> you see
1: what I mean? Like we, yeah. we gotta avoid that for sure.
0: Yeah, 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 no, I, yeah. I've, uh, I've been a part of a, a hackathon myself and yeah, so I can, I, I, it wasn't a uh, maybe one that was machine learning focused but I could see a situation where uh, you, it comes and goes and, and then you're kind of scratching your head saying, so, so what did we just do? What, what happened and, and how did I miss that?
1: And, and, and Michael, if I may add, trying to detect the differences in images between cats and muffins, or, you know, some of these examples people like to show, can we all agree that given our complicated subsurface problems, that that's very different? Our problem is very different. Um, The way Oreskes and all describe it in their famous paper is open earth systems. Mm -hmm. I would describe them as being multi-scale and non-stationary. Very complicated patterns. And so what it comes down to is that, uh, I'll I'll give you, can I give you another example, Michael? Yeah. Um, Through the Freshman Research Initiative, I get to work with a lot of undergraduate students, like 50 in each class. And we put them to work on energy problems. The program is fully supported by ConocoPhillips. So shout out to ConocoPhillips for supporting an entire stream of freshman research and inventors program here at the university. Now, we had them work with satellite data. And they were trying to do automatic detection of urban development versus natural settings. And so they did a convolutional neural net, it was deep, it was complicated. And at the end, they showed us the results and it looked good, the maps were compelling. And so I asked them, I said, do something simple. Just show me a plot of grayscale or tonality of the image pixel by pixel versus the classification you came up with. And there was a one-to-one relationship they had taught their machine to find grays and browns and certain types of colors that typically are the colors of roads and buildings and roofs. And they they had thought that they had made this complicated system. So we definitely need to be able to explore and understand what these machines are doing. It can be very dangerous otherwise.
0: Right. Yeah. No, and it sounds like, uh, to your, your point, uh, there, there's still a lot. There's a lot that we certainly have been able to, uh, uncover and uh, develop and, and learn, but but likewise a lot more that we need to uh, refine and and um, and otherwise grow grow into as as we move down uh, or move moving towards uh, the future. So I think that's really um, really exciting, and appreciate the you know the the, the high level but still detailed uh, perspective that you're able to share. Um, one one item I wanted to to touch on. Uh, that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, kind of pivoting slightly, is your uh, move into the the world of academia. So um, i uh, I don't uh, I wouldn't anticipate that uh, it's the norm for people to, you know, go to university. Uh, go into you know, the, the workforce and then all of a sudden say, you know what, this has been great. I'm going to jump into academia. I think it's great for sure, but I, I don't know that that's a, a well-worn path. Could you share maybe a little bit of, of what, what drove you to, to do that?
1: So this is, this is very interesting because for me, you know, knowing my history, education changed my life. The mantra here is what starts here changes the world. That's what we say at the University of Texas at Austin. And um, I I feel I live that life. And I feel that I was given much by others. Many mentors, many people who who kind of put their hand down and lifted me up um, right from a young age. And so as I became a research scientist and grew my career, I found I love those opportunities to lift others. I found it inside of Chevron. I got to teach um, probably about two weeks to a month every year. I, I loved it. I, th- those were days I went home. As a team leader, when I was mentoring people on my team and instructing and helping others, those were the days that I went home like supercharged and excited. And so it was very natural with writing the book. And I had about 40 peer review publications while working that there were opportunities in academia that became knocking. And so when I saw that opportunity here at the University of Texas Austin, I really was driven by this idea of giving back, um, the opportunity to work continuously with students, kind of raise this next generation. When I was an undergrad, some of and some of my favorite professors were the ones who would stand up there. Like I remember Dr. Bigger in geotechnical engineering. He'd been with the um, basically the Army Corps of Engineers in Canada. And when he would tell us about soil mechanics and then he would tell us, okay, and this is what we're doing out in the field. And this was the conditions we were working in. This is what we had to figure out. And this is what we and we had to get those tanks across, you know, that kind of thing. Right.
0: Mm,
1: And and you're just it was just so exciting when they had that experience. And so I I thought I had something I could give. I can stand down there in the lecture hall in front of 80 students and I can tell them. Ah this is what happens when we introduce this type of bias in the data and this is how it can impact decision making. Yeah I, so I get really excited about this idea of giving back and it was, it was now I got to tell you Michael would you believe it was a huge change?
0: I I I would believe it as as passionate as you've been to I would believe it.
1: I got to tell you. um, And and so I would not be honest if I didn't say there's been probably many times where I was like, what did I get myself into? We had to retake my my uh, faculty ID. Because right at the moment, the camera was about to shoot. I had this realization of what I'd walked away from. (laughs) 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 What am I doing? And so I had a look of terror on my photo. So I went back a couple of days later and got a new shot.
0: <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I mean, that's I, I could I could imagine. But it, it sounds it sounds like after having done this for 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 several years, um, and to your point, uh, really uh, embracing the passion that was there. That that yeah. that uh, maybe that that shock has 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 uh, transformed into excitement.
1: It has, Michael. Don't worry about me. It really has. um, I'm up to 15 PhD students now that I work with that are amazing. Um, My classes all fill up uh, very quickly when they open up. I've got great students who are very enthusiastic and um, many semesters I supervise, you know, up to several, maybe eight undergraduate students doing research. So they keep me busy and I'm loving it.
0: So as we Maybe think about those that are in the, the, the oil and gas uh, the space, but may not uh, either may not necessarily deal as closely or um, with as much uh, depth uh, in terms of manipulating data or otherwise really dealing um, in, in that space. H- what are some things and, and maybe some items that you could share that can maybe help? Uh, shape the way that they they look and possibly even perceive the importance of, of of this space?
1: Okay, you know, I think a great bridge to get people started goes like this. We have engineers and geoscientists listening to us right now. I'm certain they know, all know how to use Excel. They probably use Excel almost every day or they use it to manage the data and the things they work with. Now, would you believe Excel was designed not to do anything beyond being a spreadsheet.
0: Mm.
1: Now you're trying to take your data and you're trying to build workflows. You're trying to get the job done. So I wanna invite you, anyone listening, whatever you need to do, try doing it in Python. Do it in Jupyter. There's lots of great example Jupyter workflows, notebooks that you can open up and get started. I, I put out hundreds on my GitHub account with videos where I explain how to go through specific steps in data analytics and machine learning. So take on the challenge, try to do it in Jupyter. It'll take two to three times longer to do, maybe longer, but at the end you'll learn something new and you'll have a product you can reuse. Plus you can deploy and share it with others. You will import packages In Python, that will give you access to the world's brilliance to get the job done. It's amazing the things you can get done. You can be one of those people who, you know, take data and do cool things in hours. That would be my initial invitation to Mm -hmm. those people. Um, And remember, I demystified it already. If you're already doing statistics, you know there's a great book, James and all, they call machine learning statistical learning. It really just is a data-driven statistical model. There's no magic to it. I tell my students every time I explain to them deep learning, I I curse them. With every (laughs) single time they hear deep learning, they see an equation, y is equal to f of x. It's just inputs and outputs. That's all it is. So it's not that bad. And there's tons of great resources to get started. Can I plug it, Michael?
0: Please do. I, sh- I think you're actually going to uh, you're 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 stealing the thunder that I was thinking about throwing. So please do. I know where you're going.
1: Yeah, I post every single one of my university lectures on my YouTube channel. I get about 20,000 views per month and I hear so many wonderful positive messages from people telling me. I had one person tell me recently they said uh, my boss would like to thank you. There's
0: your endorsement right there, right?
1: Yeah, 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 which I'll tell you what that just made my week. Yeah. so there's there's a lot of people who are using this content to be able to learn new skills and add more value at work.
0: Well that's great. Well, so I guess uh, indirectly you're you're having a an order of magnitude greater impact than uh, than you were earlier into your your common earlier uh, education that that is a uh, that is a catalyst that can really help uh, drive change, like you said for your students and and beyond. so that's that's really great.
1: And Michael, if I may add, um, I taught, I think, 1,700 working professionals with my educational startup last year alone. 44 engagements. I, I work with many working professionals, and guess what? Don't have any fear. People with engineering and geoscience backgrounds are great at learning new skills with data.
0: Mm, that is really great. Well, I, I've I've learned a lot in our our conversation. Hopefully, our listeners have as well, and um again if they're they're interested in uh finding more about your lectures or uh, some of the the research that you have going on uh you've you've made it uh, about as as easy as anyone can It's your name michael perch that's zcom and uh and they can find out more including your a little bit more on your your background which is is quite compelling so um So, uh, Dr. Persh, thanks for taking the time to join us on the um, SBE Gulf Coast Section podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. This is fun. Good to meet you, Michael.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Society of Petroleum Engineers Gulf Coast Section podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the upcoming events or resources available, Or if you'd like to share your thoughts on this episode and have suggestions for future topics, feel free to contact us at spegcspodcast at spe.org.